Today's episode of the Back to Back Podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to backtoback.robinhood.com. That's backtoback.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerdist She Wrote. It's the back-to-back podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Dave Dufour, joined as I am every single week by my man, Mo Dakil. What's up, Mo? What's up, Dave? And we've got Seth Partnow. Hi, Seth. Hi. Uh, you'll be happy to know that one of my cats is stalking me right now. <laughs> yes. So yes. I know it's it's a fan favorite. If uh, she yes. might either jump on me or like cause a bookcase to fall on me. So if you get attacked, either of those things we, happen. And we have good audio of the attack. I really hope someone animates it. Oh, like the Ricky Gervais podcast when they did the animation. That's what we need. I need that in my life. This is the dream. This is the dream. I really hope the cat attacks tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna be so distracted this entire show just hoping that that Seth gets attacked by one of his cats. Why are the cats attacking you? Have we have we figured this out? They're cats. They're mean. Nobody likes cats. Yeah, that's essentially it. <laughs> cats attack. I've never seen cats. I mean, except for like my friend Bree, who has two cats that have yet to really attack me from the few times I've been over. Like, there's not a. Uh, I've never seen a cat not ready to just pounce on somebody and scratch him up. Well, guys, uh, we got a big thing. We're recording this on Wednesday, and, and tonight Zion is going to be coming back. How how excited are you guys on scale of one to ten? Eleven. Eleven uh, D is about where I was going to go. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm 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 very excited. I think it's been you know with John Morant has been super fun for you know. The, the last couple of months and now just adding Zion to it again with all the, you know, the hand wringing about where the NBA is. I just, you know, look, look, this is the, the game is in a, is in good hands. Look, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very ready for that to, to, to come to fruition. And, and since we're recording this before he does it, would you guys like to make predictions on, on what happened? Nope. Nope. <laughs> my, my guess is he's, is he's going to be, you know, reasonably tight limit minute limit i would mm-hmm. i would be surprised if he played much more than 20 minutes tonight like you know they're a they're playing pretty well and and b kind of in general like why right so you know that i i think that that uh i'm, I'm not expecting like a triple double out of the gate or something like that everybody um, should ease expectations if he plays 18 minutes bit. he's gonna score 12 points uh, i think he's gonna have like 12 and eight and at least and two ridiculous 17 screen assists. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, that leads into exactly what I wanted to talk about, Seth. Nope. Seth has a rant on the it's screen assist. Not gonna at- be about, it's not going to be about screen assists. <laughs> uh, I, I think you do. Uh, it, it, I've uh, ranted screen enough on screen assists for everyone. Yeah. And remember, uh, I was it, there first. Fine. No, I'm just kidding. So the the kind of the one of the sort of misused stats I want to talk about this week isn't so much a stat as kind of a general concept. It's shot location and shot charts. Um, I think those flatten the game in a way that leads to people making bad conclusions about what's going on. Uh, a, a shot is an endpoint. Um, of 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 what's happened it's 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 one step above this that possession was worth two points you would never look at a game and say oh that team scored zero points on on 40 possessions one point on 12 uh two points on 30 and and three points on on 14 and say that described the way they play and uh in some ways a shot chart or a shot a, a shot distribution breakdown is kind of like that uh, it's an outcome and the process of playing the game, how a team gets there, how the players move, how the ball moves, how the defense reacts is f- is is important in the way those shots are distributed. And I think there's a danger in, in flattening the game too much in just looking at those outcomes as in the shot location. Well, it's it's the visualization thing, right? Like it's, it's being able to say, look at this guy's shot yes. chart. <laughs> However, and I, and part of the reason why, because making it two-dimensional and static, uh, that almost gives the appearance of ownership of the court, and that doesn't really reflect the way the game is played. Now, some some teams, certainly certain teams that, you know, Houston, the guys who take corner three-point shots just kind of stand in the corner. But there's other teams, you know, the hammer play, the the, the, the you know the, the San Antonio derived hammer play, where you're setting kind of a a flare screen for a for a, a shooter on the weak side of the floor. That's not a guy standing in the corner. That's a guy moving to the corner. Right. So the corner is open to allow the guy to move into. And so this is not, you know, if a player takes a lot of shots from you know the elbow area, that doesn't mean that guy is always at the elbow. Chris Paul does not occupy the elbow. Chris Paul, when he gets in a pick and roll or isos against a big guy, works his way to the right elbow and then takes that little leaner that he's he's very good at. And so that doesn't mean that other people can't use that same space. It just means on his shooting possessions, Chris Paul does use that space. And it's only for those, you know, two or three seconds into and out of his shot. So you're you're just saying that all shot charts are bad. That That's what I'm picking up here. I, I'm not saying all shot charts are bad. I'm I'm saying that uh, we should contextualize this a little bit more and realize that that's not a a shot distribution is not a reflection of style because you can get the same shots by kind of you know plot on a on a two dimensional court. You can get those shots in many different ways, and the kind of the the movement of a player into those shots makes a big difference into what kind of shot they are. Again. A top of the three, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the three that Devin Booker missed against uh, San Antonio to win the game the other day is pretty different than, you know, a guy who happens to, it was a deep three, but if a guy is just spotting up and happens to be, you know, two extra feet behind the line, that's a very different shot than kind of a leaning pull up over a crossover. But 
or af- like after a crossover. But on a shot chart, they show up as kind of the same thing. And again, how you got to that shot is is probably close to, if not as important as where the shot was actually taken. Right, and yeah, it, it, this it, goes into that the your your shot tracking stuff as well, and you just don't you're not getting good information on those types of shots. Go ahead, Mo. It's just incomplete information. It's just kind of part of it. We don't know how they're getting those shots or or where they're coming out from. You know, it's just like these are the shots they're getting. We don't know. You know, like the Chris Paul example is a great one. Like we don't know just by looking at the shot chart, you don't under, you don't see the work he's doing to get to that elbow, to get that shot off and things like that. I think there's, they're helpful, but it's, you need more information behind it. I mean, am I right, Seth? Is this what you're, you're saying or have I just completely off base? No, no, that's exactly right. And then, so the danger of that is because you're looking at this flattened static version of the game. You know, you obviously it's, it's pretty well established where in general the good shots are. So now it looks like everyone's trying to get, quote, the same shots, but they're doing it in so many different ways that they're not really the same shots. But if you're looking at it in this very static way, uh, you can lead to some this is this is a, a, an idea that's gained some currency that I just don't agree with, that the NBA offensive game is very homogenous now. And, you know, if if you're thinking about it, just where guys are shooting from. Yes. If you're thinking about it in the dynamic way in which basketball is actually played in terms of guys moving into and out of spaces and the ball finding open people, uh, these these teams are getting there very differently. And so I just want to to reemphasize that the the shot chart, the shot location breakdown is is kind of just one dimension of that that evaluation of kind of what a team is doing and how they're getting there on offense. But people do run. I mean, teams do run a lot of similar stuff. Yeah, they they run similar stuff. But even even among the similar, like the the variation in frequency for which different teams run, you know, uh, dribble handoffs to guys coming off pin downs from the baseline. Like you say that, and I think immediately think like Miami and Denver. Um, you know, you, you run spread pick and roll. You start to think about at Atlanta and Dallas. Uh, you talk about just like top of the floor ISO. It's Houston. Like these teams are are you know, there's some very similar basic actions, but the way they're put together and the way they are harmonized with each other are pretty varied across the league and pretty varied across good teams in the league. But not even that. Teams are sometimes running the same action, but to get to different points and to get to different end results. You know, Uh, teams that are running floppy, you know, might have another wrinkle behind it and things like that. Like there's there's a whole bunch of stuff behind it. It's more than just, they all just run the same stuff or this or that. They run it, but it's to get something different every time. Dallas uses the handoff at the beginning of most possessions yep. to get Luca off the ball to only get him back onto it, you know? And and that's something we see with Portland and Denver. I mean, excuse me, Portland with Dame, but it's but they also have a different result behind it, you know, because then it might go to CJ and then they're gonna let CJ work, whereas where Dallas, they really are trying to maybe it's post up Luca or whatnot. Like there's just so many different ways in which teams use it. Like it's, I'm with Seth when we talk about like everybody's playing the same way. It's like no, I I really don't think they are. I think some teams are using similar styles, but are also using different things within that style. It's almost like a, a subset beyond that. So I I, I kind of get a little frustrated with the whole idea of like, and this is something maybe casual fans will pick up won't see but like i expect other people 
other NBA people to be able to be like, no, it's different. Like these are the different things they're doing. And I think sometimes we have people that are just kind of with that lazy narrative instead of really looking at it. Yeah. And just to, you know, again, to, to illustrate, I think your point about different endpoints, like, you know, Phoenix and Philly both run floppy, right? But Phoenix is trying to do it to get Devin Booker the ball in the move, coming off a screen, maybe open for a jump shot, maybe open to a curl in the lane to let him play, make and do stuff. Philly is running it to allow Embiid to set a screen, get deep post position, and and have the 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 guy he screened for get the ball and get the ball into him. I mean, those are very you know you're running kind of the same like you said basic action, but those are completely opposite end goals, uh, and it's based on obviously like we're trying to get the ball to our best player in his in his best spots, and you. You know, so you you emphasize different options off of any given, you know, set of actions. And yeah, getting Embiid post ups is a uh, is a good move for, for Philly. He's he's pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh, guys, yeah. guys, uh, we are officially in in the midst of trade season. We had uh, Portland making a tax trade. We we had a Minnesota trade. I want to talk about some of our favorite mutually beneficial trades. For contenders, okay. I know we 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 sit and talk about you know all of our different trade scenarios, guys that we'd love to see in different places. What are some realistic trades that that you guys have been playing around with? Uh, Mo, I'll start with you. I don't know how realistic this one is, so I apologize. I've, I'm bending the rules here a little bit, but I'm of the belief the Clippers need to kind of beef up their front line. I'm not a believer in the Zubach and Montrez Harrell thing all fully working out. Um, this is kind of a stretch, but like I wouldn't be against a Mo Harkless Montrez Harrell and, you know, a first round pick. And I think you need to throw in like Jerome Robinson or something like it to make it work for miles Turner. You know, they need another shot blocker. They need to have some, a, a better presence. I think defensively, they need another big man. I think Zoo's not really a great. He's not a guy who I would look at as a starting center on a on a championship level team. And really on this team with the Clippers, he's really kind of the de facto bench guy. It's just you know he doesn't close games as much as Harold does. So I kind of think they need an upgrade. And I I look at it that way. And then I wonder if you know my questions are really, you know, Trez is going to be a free agent at the end of the summer, and I don't know if the Clippers are really going to go big into the bag for him, you know, cause I think a lot of these other teams that do have cap space are going to throw big money at him. So that's kind of the way I, I think, but I don't know if Indiana would do it. I don't know if they're willing to move Turner, but I think that's I think something so. I would you look at. Bite your hand off for that. Yeah. They're, I I don't think they're, they're getting, they're, they're, they're getting the best player. And <laughs> I, I mean, I think Harold's just better than miles Turner. So that's, that's part of that. And, and also like you, you, you're, uh, you don't want to go into the bag for Harold. Well, kind of, uh, uh, Indiana's already kind of gone into the bag for Turner and how much more expensive is, is Harold likely to be than what Turner's already getting is my question. I I do see what you're saying though. I think that, I think you've identified the need, for for um, uh, the Clippers, in that I, I agree with you that this is any time I've watched them against uh, like a like a like a really good dialed in team, like that first six minute stretch where the the the, the other team just doesn't guard Zubats, uh, seems like Zubats, excuse me, uh, doesn't re- like that's a that's a it's a hole they're going to have to dig out of, and then maybe 
okay, that happens two or three, the first two or three games of a playoff series, and now you start Harrell, and then you know your rotation is all messed up, and and you've reduced your, you know, you've reduced your playable rotation by one because you're not bringing Zubats back if if he's not starting anymore, right? So I do think I, I long winded way of saying I agree with you. Though I do wonder if maybe they get away with, you know, Jermichael Green at center or some, some more. I don't know. Um, but I don't think it does anything defensively for them. I, my concern isn't yeah. so much what they do on the offensive end. Because Zoo hasn't been bad in that. Like, they've done a good job finding him on pick and rolls. Because you're right, teams aren't really defending him. You know, and, and you know, when they're coming off screens or, or when they're coming off the ball screens with him, you know, he's open on the roll and he's doing a pretty good job you know, catching it and finishing it. I just don't think he's a starter on a championship team. I just don't think he's at that level. And I don't think Trez is either. I'm not, I'm not all that high on Trez. Um, I think he's good, but I don't think he's great. I think he's going to end up getting overpaid this summer and good for him, but I don't think he's, he, he, he's at that level too. And, you know, he struggles against length. I mean, hell last night against Dallas, we saw them struggle a little bit in the paint with him. You know, they, they struggled with the length of, of Porzingis and um, Boban. I mean, granted, everybody will struggle with Boban's length. He's a freaking monster um, in a good way, very, very like an adorable way. OK, um, but like you know, John they, Wick. Yeah, well, that's a whole different story. Um, but like they they even went twin towers on them and had them both playing at the same time, obviously, because the Dwight Powell injury. But, you know, that affected the Clippers for a while. Like there was an a. A, a struggle in that sense for them. So I think it's an issue for them. And I think it's an issue. It's going to be an issue going forward that I think that ne- they need that upgrade. Now, maybe that's not the trade to, to make happen, but they need a, I, I'm more in the pocket of, they need a center more than they need another guard. And I think that's been the biggest debate lately in, in, in Clipperland. But I think that, that Shamit getting healthy probably helps out in the backcourt a lot. Mm-hmm. Helps with um, shooting. He's not a good point guard, man. Like when he brings no. the ball up, there's a lot of turnover possibilities. When he brings the ball up, I've seen him throw some passes where I'm like, dude, what yeah, are but you they're doing? not they're not playing with a you know a, a traditional one anyway. You just need a guy who can guard ones. I mean, well, it, I mean, they're turning they're turning Beverly really into the one. You know, like Doc has said it in his pregame talks and postgame press conferences you know they're giving him a play sheet they're working with him the way they used to work with chris paul and the way they used to work with rondo in boston you know the way he describes it and they're trying to turn him into a little bit more of that kind of actual point guard more than defending just the one like you're saying dave but actually use him in that sense of having him run the offense a bit more so they're trying to do something with that whether that's smart or not i don't know but that's that's what they're doing now uh seth do do you have a a mutually beneficial trade idea. So this is as, as we've been as a kind of uh Sam Vecini, Daniel Rue and I have been working through kind of team by team and, and posting kind of deadline previews for them uh, at the athletic. Uh, one of the things we're, we're, we're finding is that it's, it's, it's hard to find like a, like a mutuality of interest right now. Yes. Uh, partially because of, of just like where teams are. Um, we're kind of in a weird spot just in terms of, of finding partners where two sets of contracts make sense uh, in terms of length as much as anything else. Um, so it's like, yeah, that guy, like if that guy had a certain guy, yeah, I'd give a first rounder for that guy, but he's an expiring. So maybe not. So it, it's been really hard to find uh, uh, like a, like a mutually, you know, beneficial, like you can, you can look around and see, okay, like, 
the Celtics could use a big. Um, who, what, what bigs are available that you know you would, they can would give them a, a yeah that they can afford yeah. Um, and it's you know they don't they don't have a lot of salary to give up that that's not directly from their you know the high in their in their rotation. Uh, so that makes it <laughs> that makes it difficult. So what's a you know is do you trade Gordon Hayward for you know does you trade Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner? I don't know. I that, I think a lot of it, that would depend, right? Like, do you think Gordon Hayward's going to opt out this summer? Right, right. Do you think so he you would? Do you think there. he would opt out if he's in if he's in indie, which you know affects them also. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe they want him to opt out because they want to re-sign him long term. Uh, you know that that's that's also yeah. a question. You know, this is the tricky one uh, with this year, right? The teams that everyone wants to make trades probably can't do the trades that that move the needle. So like Denver, for instance, I'm just looking at their at their roster. Um, unless they're going to trade Gary Harris or or Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley, which Plumley is it? It's Mason. Um, Mason. <laughs> yeah, gosh, uh, Mason Plumley. Um, they're not really going to be able to get much back because the rest of those guys are too important in their rotation. Maybe Will Barton, but but we've seen how much this team leans on Will Barton when Jamal Murray is dancing around out there not doing anything. So. Like I, I would love for Denver to be able to get Drew Holiday or Kyle Lowry or someone like that, but they can't. They just don't and have that's the as salaries. Much, exactly. That's the, again. That's that's as much the the money as yeah. the assets. Right. Right. I mean, like the guy. Like, well, I'd say it's more Denver, of the money. Yeah. Right. Denver is is and there's a couple teams like this. Miami's a little bit like this too. Where and this is this is kind of a hard spot that Boston found themselves in before they got uh, Kyrie. Right. Uh, was there they they've gotten to a certain point by just not giving any minutes to bad players. That's great, but that that also makes upgrading hard because you're not right. you don't have any you you know you you've already you're getting a better player than a than a slightly above average player. Uh, you you know you've already you've literally already cut the the potential pool of players by 60% because, you know, by definition, this guy's better than more than half of them. So, so that, you know, then you're, you're, you're not really fishing in a deep pond in terms of, of a number of, of, of candidates. And then those guys tend to be valuable to their teams. And so how do you, how do you pry them out? And, you know, Denver maybe is in a situation where they could quote unquote overpay, uh, but just finding the other the other partner to to you know take their money like they have, mm-hmm. you know I think that guys like Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez might have a little bit of value to to add to to a deal. But, but again, are you getting you, a, nobody's? They're not. You're not moving the needle right, with a guy that you're right. getting back. You're going to be trading right. like for like ish in that scenario. Yeah. And by the way, right. I just want to reiterate what I've been saying since last summer. What you're going to find are the guys that are on expiring deals. You're going to see teams go after them because they potentially want to sign them in free agency, but they won't have the money to do so. So like Gallinari, for instance, Uh, my assumption is that that he's not a long term piece in Oklahoma City and he will be moved. That's my guess. But the team that is going to trade for him is likely to trade for him with the intention of re-signing him using his bird rights that come along with the contract. Not because they necessarily think this is the one piece that we can rent for the rest of the year and, and it puts us in championship contention. But I, but I, it's funny, Dave, because I'm on the other side of it where I don't think they're going to move Gallinari. I think the play 
the play for him, if you're OKC, is to try to sign him to a contract after the summer. Or I'm sorry, after the season in the summer, and then try to move him at some point. Just find a sign him to a team friendly, tradable contract. You know, down the road. I don't know. You know, of the teams that are going to have cap space, I don't know how many of them are going to throw huge money at him. You know, we're talking what Memphis, Atlanta. Uh, Cleveland, Cleveland, like these are a lot of teams with, with room, not a lot of teams, not a lot of teams he's going to want to go to, you know, he's had the taste of the playoffs for quite a while at this point. They're going to, okay. he's, you know, in the, going to make the playoffs most likely knock on wood. Uh, But I think it's a uh, situation for them where I think I, I, before I would agree with you, you got to move them just to, to get an asset back. But I really think they're in a position where, Hey, like, let's make the playoffs let's come to a deal. Maybe it's a sign and trade, you know, and we get you somewhere where, where you want to go or let's sign in and, and keep you here for, and, and see if we can keep this thing rolling. So I don't know necessarily if Gallinari is a huge guy. I'd say that's might be on the move, but in general though, your points about it being just tough, this, this draft season to, or trade season to make a move. It's just all the teams that need something don't really have a lot of great pieces. Like the Lakers need a, a, a wing, but Kuzma makes like next to nothing. It's right. hard, you, you know. So it's it's good. I think it's going to be a lot of smaller level deals this year. I mean, you could you could argue we did we already had the like this year's trade deadline happened uh, like, but it was on Father's Day. You know, Father's <laughs> right. Day was when the, the yeah. Anthony Davis trade had it yeah. happened, and and between that and like you know between that and the Paul George and the and the and the Chris Paul deals, like we we did we we did all the trades already. You know, they they uh, so that's that's already a lot of big name players moving. It's just they, they happened, you know, over the summer instead of instead of in season. Right. Uh, I mean, what we're biggest... going to get is going to be a lot of teams like Portland trying to duck the tax, cut the tax bill, get below the tax. That's what you're going to see a lot of. So I expect Houston and Portland to be active trying to do that. Is the, is the biggest guy to get moved going to be Derek Rose? Possibly, I, you know, I heard that they were asking for a first. That feels like a lot. I don't think I don't. Th- I think a first for Rose, given that he's on a he's gonna make he makes seven and a seven. bit next year. Also, yeah, I think a a like a high end playoff team, like a a team picking you know mid twenties or later. I think a first is perfectly like you, th- you think they the way, the, like the player he is he has become kind of the 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 dynamic bench scorer who. Probably because of his own kind of, you know, physically imposed limitations, isn't expecting to be the man anymore. Like that's a like that's a that like that's a, re, a, a that he would be an upgrade for, I think, pretty much any contender if they could if they could find a way to add him to their rotation. Yeah, and well, and everybody you know just expects like that the Lakers. I mean, this is just the Lakers stuff anyway. Anybody who might be traded for. Of course, would be traded to the Lakers, uh, but trade Caruso for him. It's a fair deal. Yeah. So the Lakers, they pretty much <laughs> Good can't luck. trade a Laker draft pick, right? You. What's that? They they cannot trade a draft pick, a first round pick, right? So uh, the Lakers literally, like as far as trades go, the the only chip that they have that might have any sort of value would be Kuzma. Yeah, and it's got to be Kuzma in a piece, right? It's it's. KCP, but he has he has he has veto. Demarcus Cousins. You move Cousins, you lose the dis, you lose a displayer, uh, disabled player exception. You know, and and that's something you might be able to use to sign Collison. Like there's a 
they're in a tough spot. I mean, well, they, as, but they're they in a great spot because they've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. Right, but they need, but they need yes. one more thing. Like they're of all the contenders, I think like they're they're the one that needs another piece more than everybody else. You know, like the Clippers can probably survive. You know, because if they don't find a center, the the Lakers when the offense man when LeBron gets off the court, man, that offense efficiency and I don't know the numbers, but that drop off is like steep dude like it is like falling off a cliff level like you can feel it when you're at the games it is bad and they need another guard that can create and i don't even know if that's rose necessarily because they need another guard that can create for everybody else and get anthony davis some post touches and that's really where they're struggling and it's a huge drop off well let, all right so like we've had this argument before we have <laughs> no i feel like i feel like you and i have had the, the darren collison versus Derek rose or no, you were you were arguing for Patty Mills before, weren't you? But yeah, Collison or Mills, I don't think yeah. Mills would be available. Okay, so so let's let's imagine that that some of these teams make trades and just sort of uh, put on our front office coaching hats, uh, you know, dual role here. Okay, uh, you guys have both been there; you've been a part of it. How hard is it when you get a big piece in a trade, or when you have guys coming back from injury, like? Uh, I mean, we just talked about Zion coming back. Victor Oladipo is coming back next week. Um, Pelicans have been playing their best basketball lately. The the Pacers are really good. They're only two and a half games out of the two seed in the East. Uh, they're actually winning some games against real contenders. Uh, Mike Conley will be coming back for the Jazz soon. So, how like internally, how do how do you approach it? I mean, you know, Mo, like, are you? Are you guys in the film room trying to like figure out what spots this guy can fit in? Seth, are you I mean, when you're putting together these trades, are are you guys trying to figure out exactly how he's going to fit, what the integration's going to be like? I mean, with uh, a trade Go ahead, Seth. Go ahead. No, I was going to say is on 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 the front office side, not my problem. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, hey, you, you know, coach, I, I I got you I got you a new uh got you a new engine for your car. Uh, yeah. You, you figure it out. Um, no, there's you, you do you spend some time and you 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 figure out how they you know their skill set theoretically fits and then it's kind of uh, then it's you know it's up to the it's up to the the coaching staff to figure out you know how the rotation gets gets rejiggered and and what where they go in in various sets and also just kind of what what sets you can really use them with because you know it's the the uh, Especially this time, you know, this time of year, and, and getting past the trade deadline, there isn't a ton of practice time to get a, get someone like familiar with, you know, the every, as Mo was saying earlier, everyone has kind of the same so similar basic stuff, but it's really the wrinkles and the specific reads and 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 stuff like that that you're you want to emphasize that that you you need you need reps to to go through, and that can be tough. It's not even that too. It's it's the terminology is different. It could be the same play literally the same exact play but they call it something completely different you know they call it floppy we call it um zone seven whatever um like there's so many polar bear. things you have to learn yeah whatever um if we're trying to go with the uh um beeline line of uh, play calling but you know there, there's all sorts of different things that come to it so like when you get a new player i mean the first thing i'm doing in the video room is giving him an ipad with the playbook you know and and you know, either me in the video room or one of the coaches, we're all sitting down and going through the some of the playbooks. And you're not trying to hit him with 
everything at once. Like you're kind of just trying to drip feed them into it. And as Seth alluded to, just with the schedule, there's not a lot of practice time. You know, there's not a lot of shoot arounds. Like you're, you're trying to just find those moments and you have to kind of work them in, you know, like you always see it like, Oh, they put Jordan Clarkson goes to Utah and they're like, he only knows like 5% of the offense and that's all they could really run, you know, when he's in the game. Cause that's the only time he knows where he's supposed to be. And it just takes time and it's, and it's an adjustment period. I think the harder issue is everybody else readjusting their roles. You know, if you get a big trade piece, you know, if you get Tobias Harris, like the Sixers did last year, now everybody's roles are going to change, you know, and you're not going to get as many shots and you're not going to get these touches here because that's where he's going to occupy it. Or you need to be in this spot now, like everything changes. It's not just a new player coming in. It's all the people there. And you got to kind of figure that out as a coaching staff. Hopefully your front office isn't running away going like, here he is. <laughs> we did our job. Goodbye. You know, but hopefully you kind of have a little bit of an idea of rotations and you're, you're working together and figuring this whole thing out. I also think it gets really tough. Like if you're Utah, you know, Mike Conley's come back in the first couple of games, he's came off the bench and it's been, a. I mean, the jazz have been phenomenal without him. I mean, you know, you put Joe Ingles in the starting lineup and there is always that big question. What do you do when Connolly comes back? You know, do you put Ingles back to the bench? I mean, it's hard. You just won 17 out of 19 he, games with him he starting. He stunk off the bench, too. I mean, he was Yeah, awful. and that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. You know, it's 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 some players are very, very good at being able to come off the bench and thrive. Some guys aren't, and, and they may not even be good as starters. You know, uh, Jamal Crawford's a great example of that. He just didn't feel like he was a great starter. You know, and he, he was really good coming off the bench. And, and really thrived in that. I think, you know, Lou Williams is good. He's pretty good at both, to be honest, but I think he prefers off the bench and it's hard both ways. And I think for the jazz, that's a tough decision, man, because that's $30 million sitting on your bench, you know, not starting. And and I know that's not the contract they gave him, but that's the contract they traded for. And they envisioned him starting. And that's a tough, tough thing. And I think that's the harder thing, trying to figure that out. I think, listen, as excited as we are about Zion, I am, fascinated to watch how brandon ingram deals with this tonight because so you know it's less touches for him that's yeah different, but not different that, situations it's not the same okay so it, it is a little bit different with a guy like zion and this is sort of a, a differentiator zion gets so much of his stuff just in the course of the game they're not calling a lot of plays for zion and whereas with mike conley and victor oladipo in particular that's the one i'm really nervous about you know it, it it's going to disrupt what they do because it's going to be a different guy initiating things. And Zion, he's going to initiate a little bit, but like he might he might have 14 points and have, you know, one one play call for him. But it's no, but it changes, but the dynamics on the court change. Everything changes with that. Is if Zion setting the screen, how he sets the screen is different than how, you know, how he's used to coming off Jackson Hayes. Like there's so sure. many different little wrinkles and little small details. They kind of go into that. They can kind of throw you off. And like, look, Ingram's been phenomenal. He's in a great groove. He's an awesome, you know, you know, and, and I mean, he, possibly, you know, it might be a reserve who knows, but like you, you have a different dynamic in that sense. And it kind of just changes things. And sometimes it doesn't take much to tweak it where, okay, there's an adjustment period. And, and in that time you might drop a couple of games, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to see a guy come back and teams go through a little, struggle just because they're trying to figure it out how do how do we reincorporate him in i think it's almost harder than than bringing in a new piece but they're all difficult to begin with 
there's almost a there's almost a thing that that happens and you can see it especially this this will maybe be a a little bit of the case with Zion but especially if a team acquires like a shooter it's like ooh a, a new toy right uh and 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 they just like like what can we do to get this guy some shots and and there maybe you, you do think maybe New Orleans was going to like hey how can we throw some lobs to this guy um just to see what happens cuz it'll be crazy um uh, so that I think you you might see some of that. I, I do want to get back to if I can get yeah. back to something Mo said. Like I, I was being flippant about it. You know, here here you go, coach. But like presumably, if like everything is functional, like you're not surprising the coaching staff with the new acquisition. Like you've probably had them in the discussions. Like, hey, do you think we could fit this? We could find a way to fit this guy in. Okay, and then where would he fit? Do you think? And so you've probably already you know, in your calculus about whether a guy is worth trading, you've probably already had some of those discussions. So it's not, you're not, no one is getting surprised by, by, by that. So it's, it's, it's okay. Well, you said you could use him. Here he is, but at least we've talked about it before. Okay. Uh, so you're not. You... So let's talk about what actually happens when you do trade for a guy. Like guys, walk me through the process. The coaching staff, I'm assuming is going to want tape. I'm assuming uh, front office is, is, pulling together their own scouting reports and like you want you want to have the full report on this guy right i mean you're talking about after we've traded for him or while we're discussing while we're discussing it yeah i mean you know at least on the video side of it we're looking at it kind of you know the coaches will want to see some film let's see what he's doing these last few games how does so and so use him hey he was really good when he was playing with boston how did how did boston use him like let's you know you try to pull those kind of tapes together and and things like that and, and and put that stuff together to give kind of the coaches the idea of like, hey, this is his optimal positioning. This is where he's great. And this is where, you know, this is how he can help us, you know, and you're and you're working with the front office in that regard. You know, as Seth was saying, and you're and you're and you're kind of figuring this out and you're looking at it going like, well, if we trade this guy, we're losing this. Does this guy replace that or how do we get that back or or, or things like that? Because, you know, whenever you give up a piece. You know, you might be giving up something that's really important to your roster. You know, you might be giving up more defense or more shooting or whatnot to to fill another hole. So you have to be careful not to be opening up a whole new one uh, by making that trade. And I think, you know, you're just beginning to do that process with the coaches and going through that stuff and and, and the front office. I think, you know, I've been in conference rooms where both both sides were we're in the the room together and we're going through film and looking at guys and and, and discussing what we think of each guy. And when I mean discussing, ain't nobody listening to my opinion. Seth, Seth are they are they listening to you at all? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, you know, you can you have robust discussions. You know, like like sometimes, you know, uh, over the course of a season, a, a coach will have seen a player, you know, two, three, four times, maybe, maybe. Okay, I've I've played against this guy or coached against this guy ten times in the last four years, so I have I have a. I have, uh, you know, some some impressions about what he does on the floor, but maybe he you happened to catch him and he just hadn't made a shot in any of those games. It's like, hmm, does he really shoot it well enough? It's like, well, yeah, actually, he's a forty five percent three point shooter. He just against you for whatever reason, he's he's you know two of twenty. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's that then then I that that's different. Um, so that's that's kind of where that uh, you you know the, the adding the context of the the full totality of what a guy does or you know or you know pointing out that you know the uh uh i know i got something a guy reputations especially defensively can 
be sticky. And it's just like, I remember him being a really good defender. It's like, yeah, two or three years ago, he's pretty good. But, you know, everything we're looking at shows that he's slipped a lot the last couple of years. And I don't know if he's hurt or if it's just, you know, time, father time being undefeated. Uh, but, you know, so he might not be that guy anymore. And and so, okay, you know, whether, you know, whether any of that stuff ever penetrates, who knows, but it it's part of the discussion. All right. So uh, got a little deep on that one. Uh, let's wrap up for this week. Uh, as we do every week, Mo, what are you paying attention to going into well, next I, week? I already spilled the bags. I'm paying attention to Brandon Ingram and I'm paying attention to <laughs> the guys being reincorporated back. I'm I'm watching how, Zion comes back. I'm keeping an eye on what's going on in Utah, and I can't wait for Oladipo as well. Just trying to watch how all these teams kind of bring these, reintroduce these guys. I mean, we didn't even touch on Indiana, who's Oladipo's coming back, and now Brogdon, who's used to having the ball in his hands this whole time. You know, now now it's going to be a little bit different now for him, and they got to figure that out. So I'm just excited to watch all that. Seth, uh, I mean, obviously, just I'm I'm excited for Zion and. Uh, um, yeah, and then and then kind of looking at uh, as we're getting into sort of the the all star uh, the the heat of the all star um, uh, PR campaigns. I'm I'm kind of interested to see how that that kind of shakes out. Um, uh, obviously, there's there's uh, differences of opinion. Uh, it seems like they're sharpest on how much we want to we collectively. Whether that's you know coaches, media, fans want to reward individual greatness versus individual statistical greatness uh, versus driving team success, and it's always fascinating to see how those kind of things come out. Like uh, you know, you know, I, I, I feel like Trey Young is going to be a pretty big litmus test for that this year. Um, it's funny. Uh, John Hollinger came out with his uh, Eastern Conference All Star picks today, and he had Young on the team, and. Uh, I I, uh, I I ruffled some feathers, uh, uh, some Hawks feathers a couple weeks ago by suggesting that I didn't think he should be an all star. And I think we have we probably have pretty similar views of him as a player. It's just, you know, how much do we do we care or not that how his team is done? And to think right. we just have kind of different opinions on that. And so just watching that discussion play out for the next little bit is going to be fun. It's nice what to you- have somebody else that cares about defense and team uh, success. I'll say that because I, I feel like I've been on an island. Are as, you serious? You've been on a podcast with how with me? How long? You don't think I love <laughs> you out of your mind, Dave? Listen. So Ben Simmons is, is should be the All Star starter at guard. I've seen I've seen Trey there a lot. It should be Ben Simmons. Dave, what are you watching? I'm watching the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the Sixers because you know Ben Simmons playing more like a like a five on offense I think is really really fascinating that's a team that I I, like I would love to for them to be able to make a trade get some kind of dynamic point guard out there so so Simmons can do more uh, of what he's been doing um but uh you know I just don't think they they're gonna be able to make a move would you guys trade Embiid no not yet I listen I get this whole thing. The team is going looking good. It's been six games. I mean, oh so yeah, it, and I'm not even it, saying that, right? Like, I'm not saying they're better without it, Embiid, but I'm saying like, like I wonder, I wonder if you can't create a better team with Embiid I the th- asset. I think one thing I'd like to see them explore a little bit more, and 
I haven't really done a, a deep dive into it, so I'm sure the, the numbers are going to be all screwed up. So I'm not going to say any because I don't want Seth to try to send his cats after me. Um, but, like, I would like them to kind of experiment more. You know, that he subs out, Brett Brown subs out Simmons and Horford out at the same time, you know, and staggers them. And then Embiid has his time on the court. I'd almost want to see him take Embiid and Horford out and let Simmons cook at the center position because we've saw, especially in that Nets game, how good he was, you know, setting screens, rolling. This is mm-hmm. what something you've been calling for for a long time, Dave. Yeah, that um, that Nets game in particular, uh, Horford was trying to operate in the same spaces as Simmons, and you can just see, like, like Horford needed to be spacing the floor, and, and I, I think that there is there is some sort of a disconnect with with the way these guys play with Simmons and. and you know, when Embiid's in there, look, Simmons, just stay out of the paint. <laughs> Get out of the way. Like, Embiid is too good there. Uh, but but Horford, I, I kind of just want him to space out. But the other thing, too, is I want to see when he takes it, puts Simmons to the bench, I want to see them find a way to make it work between Horford and Embiid. Let's get some of that Zebo marcus Gasol kind of tandem going. You know, like, that high-low for the Grizzlies was brutal. And the thing is, they had... I mean, besides Tony Allen, like they had, they had a little spacing. Like Mark, Mike Conley was difficult, and we had to worry about him. But that high-low between Embiid and Horford could be really interesting. And I, and I don't think they've played well on the court together, just the two of them. But I think if they could find a way to make that work, I'd be really excited to watch this. I think they'd, they'd go to that next level that, that we've all been hoping they can get to. All right, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Nerd She Wrote.